Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the uh, podcast, The Human Connection, where I have the pleasure of having polyvagal-informed conversations with a lot of awesome, cool people doing amazing things in the world. And today, I'm so excited. I have Seth Porges. Uh, Seth is a journalist and a filmmaker and a co-author on the upcoming book, our polyvagal world, how safety and trauma change us. Uh, Seth, welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah. So um, let's see where we start. So let me, I'm, I don't know if you get that question asked. I'm assuming you're a person who your entire life was, you know, around polyvagal with Dr. Porges being your dad. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, ever since polyvagal theory existed, which yeah. wasn't my entire life, but, it was. you know, since it, 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 the as, 90s, as, yeah, for sure. Growing and growing up, um, was there a point where you realized, oh, this is actually super cool? And I asked this question because I, you know, that child parent um, relationship for a lot of people, they don't mm -hmm. see what their parents are doing is, is, is cool or, uh, or exciting. Was it the case for you? And I'm assuming um, maybe yes, maybe no. no. I mean, I always thought it was cool. I think when I was younger, I failed to fully understand it, of course, or have the vocabulary to to understand it. And I think the thing about polyvagal theory is it's less something that's learned in an academic sense and more something that becomes uh, apparent through lived experience. You know, and I think, you know, you can you can sort of read books about articles or watch videos about it and say like, okay, I get it. That sort of makes sense. But really it's, I think when, when you apply it to your own life that it really clicks into place. And I think for me, it was just a matter of growing up and having lived experience to say like, oh, this, this really explains a lot. Is <laughs> really what I think it was. Yes. Uh, um, for me, I came to the polyvagal theory from an embodiment, uh, kind of somatic, uh, I'm a somatic coach. So, and, um, facilitating dance of movement. So I, I came to it from a felt sense. And then I found the scientific uh, explanations like, yeah, it's a lot of sense. So to me, it landed uh, perfectly. Like it explains um, a lot of things, a lot of things. And I am excited about, you know, the, the book that it's about the world we live in. And to me, it's, uh, it's a way to understand life. Yeah. You know, I always describe polyvagal theory as a, a way of seeing the world, almost like a worldview. And it's one that I think gives us uh, permission to liberalize and permission to feel empathy and love and sympathy for people who may act in ways that uh, we don't particularly like at times. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a way of seeing the world that I think kind of filters everything through a really simple idea, which is a quest for safety. You know, why is it that we like certain things? Why is it we're drawn to certain things? Why is it that certain things heal us? And it's all kind of, I think, filtered through this idea that our bodies evolved to seek safety for reasons that should be apparent. And that almost everything that we are drawn to, that we like, that we build societies around and relationships around are all a part of that quest. And, you know, what polyvagal theory is, is it really is the story of the evolution of mammals and humans as creatures who, you know, through virtue of, of evolution and history, needed to stay safe to survive. And all of 
all what that did to us, and we are we are the result of that. I think polyvagal theory is also, you know, there's a lot of books that have been written a lot about it that are pretty complex, academic, opaque. Our goal with this book was to make something very simple, very easy to understand. And I think polyvagal theory, you don't really need to understand all the science to really understand what it's saying. And, you know, early in the book, we, we break that down into just one simple sentence. It's like, all right, if you stop reading now, you'll sort of get it, which is that how safe we feel, how safe our bodies feel is crucial to our health and happiness. It's really that simple. When we feel safe, our bodies are better able to heal, grow, restore. We're better able to access the cognitive functions that allow us to be creative, inspired, productive individuals. And we're better able to access the social functions that allow us to be, you know, kind and sweet and sociable to the people around us. And the, you know, our bodies, they're, they're these immense complex machines. They're really good at a lot of things. They're really good at survival. They're really good at defense. They're also really good at nurturing and safety and thinking and creativity, but it can't do all of that at the same time. And only when we feel safe, are we able to access those parts of our body and our brain. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's very simple, yes. yet not very easy. And and I don't know yeah. because we are complex creatures. We think that uh, the solutions or the answer needs to be complex, but it's really that um, uh, it's simple and it's and it's and it's uh, relatable. It's innate. We've all experienced this. You know, it's it's like look at. I always turn to like dogs. I think it's an easy way of seeing how the mammalian nervous system operates outside of uh, you know think things. You know, the complexities of human culture, so to speak. And if you have a dog who's been nurtured and love, it's going to see the world around it as a place of love and play and fun. And it's going to kiss everybody and hug everybody and come to everybody and be really sweet. If you have a dog who's been abused or starved or mistreated, it's going to see everything around it as a threat. And it's going to act like that. It's going to snarl. It's going to bite. And we are basically like that. We are rescue dogs or well-treated dogs. We are dogs who, when we are treated well, when we feel safe, we are capable of immense kindness, immense joy, immense wonder. And when we ourselves feel unsafe, we see the world as a place lacking safety and act in every way that's only natural. Yeah, it's 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 really natural. However, I think um, we don't, for majority of us, we don't see ourselves as as uh, social beings or emotional beings, where many of us would deny that emotions kind of con kind of decides what our choices are, but there, in reality, it is why we gravitate towards something or uh, uh, pull away from something. It's a new reception of the bodies telling us this is a threat, this is safety. Yet yeah. we don't, and we and we need to make meaning because we. Uh, for most of us are completely disconnected from what the, our physiology, what our body is telling us. So we need to put meaning and then things become even more complex with this. It's, yet it's very simple. It's like, okay, this is a, a cue of safety and this is a cue of, uh, of threat. And it kind of simplifies the, the kind of what I say, the noise of the story that happens and that he said, she said, they said all of that to, and it brings it back to, this is what the nervous system is. Yeah. And I feel it also, yeah, it also helps remove conscious intention from the yes. conversation oftentimes. 
And I think, you know, if somebody upsets us, we oftentimes, I think, reflexively believe they're they're trying to upset us. Yes. And we get angry at them. Why would you do this to me? Why would you upset me? Why would you do this? Not understanding perhaps that they themselves might be in a place of dysregulation and emotion or uh, just feeling unsafe. They are acting in a way that is natural and their response to whatever they're dealing with might make us feel unsafe too. And back and forth it goes, it goes, it goes. You know, um, and we write in the book that we basically live in an autonomic echo chamber, um, meaning that we are really good at just picking up how safe other people around us feel. And if other people around us feel threatened, we ourselves feel threatened. We ourselves feel dysregulated. It's kind of contagious. And if we're around other people that feel safe or make us feel safe, well, we're able to bounce that back and forth as well. Absolutely. And nothing with, to me, Polyvagal changed my relationship with my children because that's what it is. And I, I always, one of the things that really struck me is we assume intentionality, especially, and, and it's yes. quite absurd when we are talking about a six-year-old, a, a five-year-old, when they're, we're assuming that they intentionally want to, you know, uh, do something, they, they want to annoy us. Uh, but that was pre-polyvagal, uh, <laughs> look at it. But the, the reality of it is like, I'm dysregulated. And with, with that, they're dysregulated. And that, that's what happens that we're all in a, both in a sympathetic kind of or, or survival state that does not produce anything nice at the, no. and there's, it's not a great result in anything. And with that, <laughs> relations and, and I love that we assume intentionality because it's, it, it's not really most of the time. Our in, what we assume as intentional is is has no basis. It's a bodily function. It's something that happened. It's a response that happens. And when we clear that up, things are much easier to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that extends to so much of the world around us. I mean, you, you know, we we as I think, you know, many philosophers and poets and writers have spent millennia discussing. Uh, human nature or whether humans are innately good or bad or altruistic or selfish or whatever it is. And I think polyvagal theory offers a really elegant, you know, answer to this, this question that has driven us. And that's that when we feel safe, we are capable of great altruism, great empathy, great generosity, great kindness. And when we feel threatened, our body's need for self-preservation and survival turns us into selfish, defensive, perhaps aggressive creatures. And polyvagal theory, I think, allows us to reframe a lot of the world around us and a lot of our priorities in the world around us through the simple question, what can we do to make ourselves and other people feel safe? Mm -hmm. Understanding what follows from that, the health, the ability for happiness, the ability for sociability, the ability for calmness, the ability for peace, just uh, the ability for our bodies to heal, grow, and restore. You know, we as a society perhaps don't value feeling safe as much as we should. And in fact, there's oftentimes cynical, engineered intentionality behind the feelings of unsafety, anxiety, and outrage that we often have. The world around us is an outrage machine, right? We have deadlines, and spreadsheets, and traffic, and vibrating phones, and all these things that are just pulling at these strings, these ancient neural pathways that are designed for immediate short-term survival. These systems that have served our bodies well to keep us as a species alive but we're never supposed to be systems that were always activated. They were there for immediate survival. 
and they're extremely resource intensive. They're extremely draining on our bodies. It's not healthy to be in these systems for long periods of time. And we live in a world now where you know, you're walking around and your phone is vibrating and cable news is blaring stuff and the headlines are scaring us and there's traffic and there's noise and there's smells. And all of these things are going through those same systems and we're constantly feeling threatened. And what does that do to us? It's not good. It's it's not good at all. Uh, I was uh, at Oxford with, for the Master's Series uh, in end of August and I heard Dr. Porges, he said something that really kind of a word that struck me and I, I, I wrote it down and I keep thinking, coming back to it and it speaks to what you know but what what you're saying is he said recovery is a uh, is a privilege and it it struck yeah. me in in a deepest way of like yes that is true we're talking about safety we're talking about creating a safe environment and the unfortunate world that we live in is is making that uh, a privilege and a luxury that millions of people don't have that accessible, which is um, quite, <laughs> it's a sad, sad world when, when this is uh, what we need as human species the most is, could be a, a, a privilege that is not yeah. accessible to others. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, you know, the ability for our bodies to, again, we'll just see heal, grow and restore, which require us to feel safe. That's what we call homeostasis, that state, mm-hmm. right? In our book, we kind of use this uh, shorthand where we kind of assign like a traffic light, different colors to to these various bodily systems, green, yellow, red, called the green system in the book. That's not a very scientific term. It's just shorthand. Um, but th- that state, which which comes, which, you know, emerges when we feel safe is a privilege. Um, it's un- but but it's 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 a privilege because we as a culture don't value safety. We value productivity. We value the role of us as cogs and machines. We value more and more and more. And the idea of saying that it's important for people to have the opportunity to heal, grow, and restore, that that's a foreign concept to just how our society is structured. And it's one that we sort of need to prioritize on our own if nobody else is going to prioritize them for us. Absolutely. Um, I, I, you talk about, not scientific term, the green light. That's perfect. I have Dr. Porges' books. I haven't finished any of them. I, I, <laughs> Me neither. No. <laughs> I, I really understood um, uh, the polyvagal theory from Deb, uh, Deb Dana's books, and mm-hmm. it, it made it very accessible to me. And But that still was in the therapeutic clinical world, which a world that I, uh, I don't live in. So it's, and I, I used to kind of like, I want to understand the science and my dyslexic brain is not giving me this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, the science is, it's not, it's not, I mean, Dr. Porges has an incredible way of making things complex and <laughs> impossible to understand. And yeah, I think okay. he'll, he, he'll be the first to admit that. I think. Yeah. yeah Deb, and Deb said, you know, it, it, it's, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, and, and then I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, because my body understand all, all, all of the things, it, 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 the nervous system and all that. And it's like, and sometimes when someone would ask about scientific or the evolution, because I cannot begin to explain, it's like, if you really want to know, go read the book. I, I don't understand it. I, I know that it's valid for me. This is my, this is the reality. It's my subjective experience that I could really talk about and subjective experience of other people but the scientific is not 
but because we live in a scientific world that that is evidence based, that there's a way to when it's the research and and it's it's valid, quote unquote. But to have a book that it's it's telling me green, yellow, and and red is awesome. I have to say. So thank you so much for collaborating and sure. <laughs> making good. And I and I um I watched a uh, kind of a, a video um uh, about the book before our conversation, and I love the Dr. Porter says that the that the book is that you are the voice of the book. It's it's polyvagal vagal in your voice. Um, can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I think he, Dr. Porges will be the first person to, my father, I was like, dad, you know, he'll be, he'll be the first person to, um, I think I come from this place where I can actually criticize him more than most people because his son's, <laughs> no, but, um, he, he, no, he'll be the first person to admit that, um, I think he, he has really great ideas, but a very difficult time oftentimes communicating them in ways that make sense to a non-academic audience. You know, he comes from the world of academia and the world of academia is what it is, uh, you know, and, um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not an academic, um, but I just, I think I, I picked up a lot of this stuff from dinner table osmosis and, and just innate understanding and lived experience. And I think I was able to formulate my own language and way of, uh, uh conveying it in a way that made sense. And it, it turns out it was very, you know, uh, working with him was a really wonderful experience. I'll say he, uh, you know, he said that, reading some of the words I wrote were was kind of uh, wild for him because it was a little, it, it felt like it was his own voice, but he actually understood it. <laughs> um, and, and that, that's been a lot of fun uh, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. But um, you know, just give me an idea. I think I want to open a bagel restaurant called the poly bagel theory. Uh, I get it on that. Uh, that, that, that would be an, an awesome. And I, and I have to say, I think um, having met uh, Dr. Borges and I, it's it's quite amazing to have um, a scholar or person who have influenced a lot of people, and his work is is changing the lives and having and have that humility and kind of um, um, the word is not coming, but but that attention to being accessible and and I was and I, I said that this to many people if I read. The polyvagal theory, and I looked at it, uh, and I understood it. And then I met Dr. Porges, and I didn't feel what I felt. I would have my own doubts about the the you know the not the the truth of uh, of this because Dr. Porges, Steve, your dad walks to me. He's a walking polyvagal. We're making him self accessible. You know, call me Steve, and I was like, I, I in my head is like, I call you steve. i don't call him i don't call him steve i call him that you know <laughs> so yeah and it's like um that you know compassion and 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 um what's the word that uh benevolence that is 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 really um evident it's like yeah this is a person who really walks the talks and it's quite um um Tells me the possible that the the really what you just said that the humans in a place of uh, safety can do awesome things, and I can yeah. feel safe uh, and and uh, do awesome things with the with the things that I've learned and be creative and and um, and move in the world. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, I was, 
I think, you know, it's an important distinction I think that we do need to make, but what it means to feel safe. We're not talking about safety in a literal sense. It's as our nervous system feels safe. Our nervous system has no way of knowing if lightning is going to strike us at any minute, right? You know, like that doesn't influence what we are talking about here. Safety is important, like in a literal sense. It's important that lightning doesn't strike us, right? It's important that that we are well protected. But what we're talking about here is our nervous system scanning the world around us and coming up with a sense of feeling of how safe we are. And we call that process neuroception. And it's kind of always happening. Our, our nervous system is always, you know, feeling like invisible antennae through the world around us as we navigate, searching for signs of safety and signs of threat and using that information to transform our bodies, to transform our state, to transform our physiology, to transform our sensory experience, how we hear, what things look like, smell like. All of these things are influenced by our nervous system's assessment of how safe we are. And because we're talking about something that is different for different people, you know, all of our, our bodies are different. All of our bodies have different tolerances for, you know, different different goalposts, so to speak, for what makes us feel safe, what makes us feel threatened. It's It can be difficult to uh, understand what other people might feel unsafe in scenarios where we ourselves don't feel unsafe. Um, you know, a lot of this book is about trauma and trauma I define as, and there's a lot of different ways of defining it. I define it as having endured something that changes our body's goalposts for what makes us feel safe in the world around us. And in doing so, you know, things, people, almost anything, sounds, whatever it might be, that maybe prior wouldn't have bothered us can, can trigger us, can make us feel unsafe, can change how our bodies feel. And for people who don't experience that or haven't experienced that, that can be very difficult for them to understand. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, so when it, when it, trauma is is a big buzzword, and everyone is sure. talking about trauma, and everyone is is reading the body keeps the score and uh, all the other books. How this um, different in uh, explaining trauma mm -hmm. uh, in the world? Yeah, I mean, well, political theory, it's not just about trauma here. Mm -hmm. This this is about how the world around us changes our bodies, mm -hmm. changes our brains. Um, and uh, and that can be trauma, that can be safety, that can be anything. And it's also important to understand that while a lot of the uh, things, the signals, the cues that make us feel safe or threatened might feel rather mysterious, a lot of them are actually really easy to 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 know, to predict, to say, you know, different sounds, different whatevers make us feel different ways. I mean, we might listen to classical music to calm us down or you ever go to a spa, they're not playing death metal at a spa, right? <laughs> they're playing like soothing wind chimes and, piano, you know, they're playing these soothing sounds because that soothes our nervous system. But if you're going to like, uh, you know, a metal show and people are dancing and moshing and screaming and doing whatever, well, the music's going to be loud and aggressive and fast and bass. That's what we're talking about here. Those simple things, those auditory cues, they change our physiology. They get our heart rate pumping differently. And we all understand this, I think. We all, it's in everybody's vocabulary, fight or flight, right? That idea that when we feel scared, our bodies do things to prepare us to either fight or flee. But I think most people's understandings about how our bodies change, how our autonomic nervous system works here, um, kind of ends there, begins and ends there. Where, you know, when we feel threatened, yes, we may fight or flight. We may, we may have all of these bodily changes occur that let us run faster and punch harder and feel less pain and adrenaline and all those sorts of things. But when we feel safe, a different transformation occurs as well. And this is a book, yes, it's about threat. Yes, it's about trauma. More than anything, it's about safety. 
And, you know, and I think that is the really important part of the shift that people don't really talk about much. It's what happens when we feel safe. What's the opposite of fight or flight? And then in addition to that, of course, is I think there's a a growing understanding that when people are severely threatened or experience severe trauma, they may not fight or flee as a way of dealing with it. They might freeze and they might shut down. And that's so, so important for people to understand because the way we treat trauma, the way we treat uh, distress is we put into, we, we kind of transpose our own selves onto, and we think to ourselves, if I was in that position, what would I have done? As if there's some conscious intent behind it. I would have ran. I would have fought back. I would have done whatever. Not understanding that the nervous system doesn't ask your permission. It just shuts down sometimes. It just does this. And understanding that to freeze, dissociate, shut down, all of these things are natural and common and maybe even predictable responses to severe duress. So, so important for how we treat victims of of incidences and how we treat ourselves a lot of people who experience this don't understand what happened to themselves and they begin to doubt their own experiences we have you know legal systems and jurors to doubt people's experiences they have a press that doubts people's experiences you look for the struggle look for the fight right that's how you say that something happened when that's just simply not how our bodies work and if people walk away from this book with just two like fortune cookie bumper sticker size uh, uh, you know, understandings that will help inform them. It'll really just be two things. One is how safe we feel is crucial to our health and happiness. And the other is that when people are under severe duress or trauma, they don't always fight or flee. Sometimes they freeze and shut down and that's normal. And that's not a sign that there actually wasn't something terrible happening. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a, a judgment of their character or whatever. No. It's like, uh, yeah. and that's, I think that's uh, one of the biggest piece why I, I, love doing this work and uh and getting people to really understand um their system and their physiology of that piece of that waste a ton the shame of oh i shouldn't have done that oh i shouldn't have said that oh i should have done this or that um because we think that we are logical and we can you know in a in a in a really- we have very high opinions of ourselves and our ability very- to <laughs> We, very, we we do we, we we have very very high opinions of in, ourselves in, in a very and, and because also the 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 society the culture praise like oh he's really got under pressure and oh you know I think this has is is shifting a little bit but with that like yes I was under tremendous stress none of this have made more difference to me than being a parent who's like yeah. That shame of I de- I've done something that I, I wish I haven't done is not because I'm not a bad person or I wanted this to happen. It's because this is what my nervous system, it's, it's actually, re- all our nervous system wants is to keep us safe. And that yeah. huge gift and, and wisdom in, um, in the body that's like, yeah, we are here because uh-huh. our nervous system was working awesomely well. And uh, we we survived this thing we called life. Yeah. So, so what what do you see? Um, you know, what's your wish with this book? Um, and I hope it's much more. Yeah, than I just what I your just, intention is. Um, but what would be really uh, good to see happen with uh, with the publication of this book? Yeah, you know, I've I've given talks about polyvagal theory, and it's amazing to me 
how just a little bit of this information can really help people if only, even if they don't do anything different, just understanding that these responses their body has, that they might believe to be mysterious and unexplainable, are common, they're predictable, they're natural, and they're there for our own good, our own benefit. I think that removes a lot of shame from people's lives. I think it removes a lot of self-doubt. I think it allows people to uh, deal with the unavoidable stresses of the world from, perversely, a a place of logic, you know, and reason. Once you begin to understand that sometimes logic and reason don't don't drive our bodies, it allows us to approach things from a place of logic and reason, and also empathy, you know, because we see these responses that we have, everybody else has them too. We, I think, as people are in society are trained to, uh, you know, be very judgmental of people, of entire groups of people, feel threatened by groups of people, and understanding that the people around us who maybe we feel threatened by are acting the way they do because they themselves feel threatened too. And are we making that problem worse? Are we threatening them unintentionally? Or maybe we can approach them from a place of love, a place of empathy, a place of sympathy. Maybe we can break some of these cycles, you know? And I think once you begin to really, you know, it it gives us permission to live a life that is not driven by threat and by fear. And it allows us to understand what living a life driven by threat and fear actually does to us, how harmful it is to us. And yeah, that's really it. That's that's really it. It's uh, <laughs> as simple as that. It's um, it's really as simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very simple. It's it, after you know, and it took me quite a few years to really um, feel understand it f- fully. Even though the the paradox, I think, uh, of it that it's it's something that our body is doing all the time, but we still don't. At least I wasn't able to recognize it until kind of really slowed down and, and sat with it and, and, and understood it uh, to really feel like, oh, yeah, this is something that is happening. And then it that's why I, I say it's it's the lens that I see the world with. It's watching movies, listening to music is never the same after. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, wow, it becomes a fascinating um a look at humans and uh, and li- listen to music is like, oh, I I wonder what's you know I, I think he the, the the musician was in a wider dorsal state when he wrote mm-hmm. that song. Yeah. There are some awesome songs with you know with all that because it's uh, it's there. Um, I mean, I think poly. Yeah, I mean, we have like a very brief bit about this in the book, but I think polyvagal theory even gives an explanation for. Why, why, why does music exist? Like what, why are we drawn to sounds that sound this way? Why do they make us feel certain ways? And polyvagal theory offers an explanation for that. You know, looking back at ancient prehistoric humans before recorded music, before iPads and iPods and before wax cylinders and records, right? Music existed uh, exclusively as a social exercise, as one that was probably only possible when people were around each other in a state of safety. Because if you're, you know, you you have to say you're pounding your coconuts or whatever together, right? You you have to feel safe in order to do that with somebody, right? Like, and so maybe there's something about music kind of wired into our brains as a social exercise that, that makes us feel safe. We talk a lot in the book about different uh, about auditory systems and and sounds and how those might make us feel safe and it's all tied to this you know our brains 
our ears are hardwired to pull out melodic intonations and prosody from the world around us. This is why babies and dogs, uh, you know, if you have a, a baby or dog and you want it to like you, it can't understand the words you're saying, but you can call, say like, oh, who's a good boy, you know, and it will smile, it'll coo, it'll wag its tail. But if you say the same words, who's a good boy, you know, you'll scare it, right? And, and you know, yes. we, we are hardwired to pull out melody from the world. It is a signal of safety to our bodies. Yeah, and we do that intuitively. I don't think yeah. one would look at a baby and will have that voice. No, no. <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> I don't think Good. we do it. We think about is like, oh, this is a baby. This is the voice I'm gonna, I'm gonna sure. express this. It, it just comes out intuitively, and it's almost, you know, it passes our thinking. And and maybe sometimes it it surprises when we're like, oh well, why why am I making these sounds? <laughs> Or when I'm talking to a dog or or, or a baby. Yeah, pretty so much. A lot of almost everything that have historically done in my family, culturally, uh, in different cultures, um, really is it's following the polyvagal um, and and that uh, need for safety in in different cultures. In so it's it's something that humanity have done all the time. It's an intuitive. It's who we are. And um, when you're talking earlier about judgment, I, I know from doing the maps of the states over and over, and uh, I know now as soon as I my thought is a judgment, either to self or on others, I know I'm in a survival kind of dysregulated state. It's it's just that's that's my go to clue if i'm if someone is saying and i immediately think oh maybe they're they're having a bad day or um i give myself that kind of compassionate empathetic response is like okay now is a i cannot be <laughs> judgmental when i'm feeling safe and in ventral and that's you know and just looking at the world we're mostly in uh we're very good at self-judging ourselves, judging ourselves uh, in so many different ways. So I, I'm not sure if you, if I got the answer of what would you like to see come out of this book, and hopefully, I just hope it, I just hope it gives a couple more people the uh, the the ability to feel a little bit safer, to look at the folks around them and see them as as you know as decent people, as decent organisms who are driven by the same thing we're all driven by. You know, we all basically are the same inside of us, right? But we live in a world that sorts and filters and pits people against each other and turns them into others and draws all these lines and makes everybody seem like they're threats to everybody else. But at the end of the day, we're all just people trying to feel safe, you know? And it really like not, not, my, one of my goals. Nothing, nothing, nothing less than world peace. Let's just say a little bit like that. The nervous system and and understanding the polyvagal theory is as a level the playing field. So, and, and because I get that question asked uh, a lot of times, because there's a lot of modalities, a lot of things. When when you take it from uh, um, a Western centric, and I'm speaking uh, for uh, one person coming. You know, from Saudi Arabia, from uh, from Asia, from different worldview, uh, from different culture, and there, oftentimes, there's quite 
and um, kind of an integration period or integration process that takes, you know, taking something like IFS or SE or anything and kind of bringing it and kind of um, adapting it and integrating it with the cultural understanding. I I don't feel the same with polyvagal theory because I could a- explain it because it's a nervous system. It's a reaction. It's I have yet to speak to anyone from any different culture or, or coming from any life experiences and they don't get the, you know, the different states of, you know, you want to go and fight and flight or you want to pull away or you want to go and hide underneath, you know, under the pillow and not, uh, and then the calvers and not talk to anyone. Everyone has their, the Yeah. Sim- we all feel emotions and we all feel what they do to our body, you know, and yeah. they're, they're, and beyond yeah and it, it's it's refreshing to i think to a- approach people that way you know just to have that level again of empathy and understanding and also understanding like you know what what how are we what are we doing to people that might make them feel unsafe and how cruel that can be if you uh what happens if kids uh are starved or exposed to a lot of pollution or environments that just are generally or abusive households or whatever it might be what does that do to them right it's not just that the the effect of that thing there what does that do to their developing nervous system what does that do to their body's ability to heal to buffer to say go to school and have any hope of accessing the, the brain functions that allow them to learn and be productive or sit still for that matter you know like like we are so, so much of you know, as a kid, I grew up in an era when there's a lot of discipline. A lot of kids were told to like sit down and shut up, you know? And it's looking back, it's like, well, maybe those kids, including myself, who had a hard time sitting down and sitting still and shutting up, maybe we just didn't feel safe. Maybe we were hypermobilized. Maybe we were in these states and nobody and and, and the sort of draconian discipline we were subjected to, that doesn't make us feel safer. It just makes us feel hurt and wounded. And that kind of stuff builds up over time. And I think just understanding those simple things offers us the ability to just treat people a little bit differently and say like, okay, let's prioritize safety here. Uh, that's what we should be looking at. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think um, because generally medical establishment, uh, educational uh, setting, it's a deficit model. When something is not wrong, that person, ha- there's something wrong with them. And it kind of mostly zeros in that individual oh that person is is a good person and we like to do this and i'm saying we as as general um, society but when taking it to the relational and that's i think in a very important piece that the polyvagal theory brings it's that relational no one is is there even though that a lot of people said that uh, i can't remember Uh, there's no baby there's a baby and a parent I think it was Winnicott or something, but that relational aspect of how that person feels, what you just said, you know, they're uh, feeling a sense of safety or a threat. That is the environment. It's the relational. It's and 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 it goes um, out to the entire world of not seeing the individual zero on the individual and say, okay, they need the treatment. They need. There's something wrong with them. You know, uh, they could be, like you said, starved and hungry. And who could function uh, if they're um, starved? There's exactly we can't do anything. So yeah, yeah World Peace really uh, 
a great um, a great ambition. And as Deb would say, one nervous system has it at a time. And I think, um, and that's why I feel really um, excited about this. And I, like I said, would speak about it with anyone. And I will share the book with, you know, <laughs> anyone who would. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I very much appreciate that. <laughs> oh well, it's and uh, I, I don't know. Probably you would start receiving stories as Dr. Porges. Oh yeah, of like how it changes. Uh, it really, it's 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 an awesome. There's always for myself and many people I speak uh, and I interact with. There's there's an a pre polyvagal era and post polyvagal where where things are just a lot easier to understand and categorize. Um, well, Seth, thank you so much for your time. And before I, I, uh, I leave you, anything more you'd like to add about the book, about yourself, about the theory or anything? Ambitious? Yeah, no, I, I, I just, I hope it, uh, you know, it's designed to be easy to read. This is, you know, the book for people who might have tried to pick up some of the other books about polyvagal theory and not really gone through them or felt like they were deciphering some arcane mystical <laughs> text or something like that like this is the one that's really it's it's the language i use to describe to a friend at the bar what what's going on here you know is what it was what it is um hope it's understandable um hope you enjoy it you know it's it's short so you can probably read in one or two sittings and uh let me know what you guys think Hope you guys yeah. like it any 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 thoughts of of uh, turning it to um Kind of a series of of uh, Netflix kind of thing that we could. You know, I think I do think there is. I think there is a documentary to be pulled from this, uh, but we'll see. You know, as somebody who makes documentaries, it's, you know, I made I made movie Class Action Park. Um, it's on HBO Max now, just Max. If anybody's seen that, uh, I I think there is a documentary here. So we'll yeah. we'll see. We'll see what I can do with this. We'll see. And, and Maybe it may be coming in the works. Uh, I know Dr. Mm -hmm. Sue, your mom, does an amazing, amazing work. And I'd like to hear, see a book with her as well. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so, yeah, so Sue, Sue Carter, who she's talking about there, is uh, the, the researcher who discovered um, what oxytocin does to, mm -hmm. to us, you know, in terms of, of attachment and love and, and bonding and all, all of that. So she's pretty cool, too. You know, <laughs> she, I, she, she is, and she's a, a wonderful uh, um, person to be around. And I, yeah, I was blown away when when someone was telling me all the things that she does. It's like, why she hasn't written a book? Why? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I uh, maybe if you write it with her, you'd have maybe for we'll me see. to understand. Don't don't think don't think she's not asking. Don't think she's not asking. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so now that's that's your um. So. Uh, you're titled uh, the co-author to make things accessible. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, that's right. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate the the conversation here. Thank you, Thank you very much, Seth, and uh, wish you all the best. And uh, uh, thanks for your time. You betcha. Have a great one. <laughs>